And we are live. We're live, Jan. We're live. Hello. Hello. We're going to shoot the shit today. We have no plans. We had a plan, but then we threw out threw it out because it was too gimmicky. Yeah. yeah. So, there are, you know, we had an interesting discussion this morning about the important importance of transparency in this podcast. And um, I think that's why I threw out the plan because we were because last time we did a thing on advertise. Uh, no, no, we branding. did it on branding, but we also recorded one on advertising. And I thought, well, well there's no sense in doing them back to back because then, then it comes off like it's planned. And the whole point of this medium for me is to just kind of document sort of this art life and use my experiences but not plan it in terms of oh we'll do branding this week we'll do advertising the next week and so on and so forth because that to me just it didn't come off as sincere i you know and yeah some at some point i will get to advertising uh but i want to know that i have more to say about it than i did because we did record a version of the episode which i threw out <laughs> yeah I mean, and the thing was that it actually wasn't really planned. It kind of came to us, um, and it just happened to came to come to us at the same idea as one for branding, but I don't know. It just didn't seem like there was that much to say. Yeah. There's advertising out there. It exists. Sometimes you have to watch it. Yeah. Sometimes it's totally irrelevant to anything in your life whatsoever. And sometimes it's not. So. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Maybe maybe down the road we'll discuss advertising. Yeah. I think that's a better plan. And then, so then we started talking about kind of transparency and how I, I really want more of it in with people doing these types of podcasts and you know public personalities whereas you're not comfortable 100% with transparency and the case in point was earlier in an earlier episode I did talk about the sort of the financial struggles with this lockdown era 2020 and kind of how everybody's feeling it everybody's dealing with it everybody's watching their bank accounts go you know get lower and lower and lower and uh i feel like more people need to talk about that need to acknowledge that that's a reality that's that that that's their reality and uh so we were talking about that and we were talking about how like it's it's basically you know black and white i'm for <laughs> being more transparent about that Whereas you are less comfortable with it. Yeah, well, I'm generally just a much, much more private person. Um, you keep on urging me to start my own podcast. And <laughs> yeah, I just don't really want to talk in front of people or be visible or have any presence <laughs> that people can see. I, I know that I have to to exist in the world and I am doing this in part to try and like get myself out there um also to help you out until you can get more guests or yeah. safely 
get guests that you can talk to. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that was the thing that you wanted me to bring up because, you know, why are you the only guest for the most part that I'm having on a recurring basis? And the fact of the matter is I have other people who are willing to be guests. I have published authors. I have other filmmakers. I have uh, business people who work in the financial sector who, who are interested in talking about kind of arts funding, funding for the arts, grants, um, how small business loans can help artists. I also have people who produce um, in television and the podcasting sector who want to come on and offer their expertise to all of you. But the fact of the matter is we're in another lockdown and 2020 has been a very unsafe year. And even though I've sort of rigged out my apartment to be safe, I've got plastic division dividers room dividers like not even like a small window i got an entire like room-sized plastic divider in my living room so it's basically two rooms one that is installed but that's not that's not even enough and so it's sort of like for all these guests who are kind of in the queue to come on and record we really need uh, this this COVID thing to be destroyed. Like we need the vaccine. We need this to be, you know, a thing of yesteryear. And then at which point people will start actually coming on. And but they are lined up. I just don't want to do it through Zoom. I don't want to do it through the computer because I don't I don't listen to interviews that are done through Zoom because I think they sound like garbage. And if I don't listen to them, certainly an, enough people out there aren't listening to them. Uh, that's the way I see it. And I don't want to put content out there that's done virtually. I don't think it's the technology has arrived yet for that to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the meantime, you get a lot of me. Well, I've always believed you need to put yourself out there more, and so yeah. this is a great way to do it. You're probably right about that. I have been trying to. I've been trying to write things on LinkedIn and that sort of thing. You were writing an article the other day. Did you manage to get that done? No, I, um, <laughs> it was about, um, how to look at data and how, um, the election has shown us how you can kind of look at data and measure data in different ways. So do you count, um, do you count uh, ballots that arrived after November 3rd or don't you, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is something that uh, you have to deal with in elections, but also the kind of thing that you have to decide um, when you're analyzing data at any point. Um, but then I just decided that I'm totally sick of the election and don't want to write anything related to it. Yeah, uh, you know, we've, I've been 100% consumed by the current proceedings with uh, the attempt at uh, a coup. So I've been distracting myself by slowly editing my movie. Slower than I typically do. I'm usually a fast editor, as you know. We've turned out films 
We've turned out short films where, like, we shoot in the morning, and by the evening, it's done. Yeah. But, man, with this movie, I'm really taking my time, just more or less as a mechanism to distract myself as much as possible from this, because this is not normal. None of this is normal, and none of this is good. Yeah, well, I think it's also just gotten to a point in this whole thing where we, we started off doing a whole bunch of stuff, um, producing things. I mean, we shot a feature-length film during a pandemic when we still had to, when we still had to social distance and wear masks and set things up in a way so that it would be safe. But now it's done, and some of the other projects that we worked on during this are done too. <laughs> and now it's just like, okay, um, what next? What's next? Yeah. Well, I, I think I want to. I've been slowly getting back into a writing brain. My because usually I go through these modes and they pop up at various times of the year. So I was in writing mode last spring when I turned out all those screenplays, which I've previously talked about. And then in the summer, I wasn't really in any mode, but I forced myself to get into filmmaking mode, though I wasn't 100% there. And so you you were there, but and so yeah. you know what, how big of a struggle it was to execute this production in one month. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning into this for the first time, in July, as soon as New York started lifting its restrictions, we shot an entire feature film. Uh, in all five boroughs of New York City. Yes. And and New Jersey. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so <laughs> it's like almost it was almost done in a way where like we were supposed to do it last spring. Last mm-hmm. winter and spring. But New York went under serious lockdown because of the COVID nineteen. And so my original cast bailed. And so I had to get a new cast. And so I got people who were willing to like do it, but do it safely, who are willing to get tested and stuff like that. And when we were filming it, I always had it in my brain that I was filming for a long haul edit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't filming for something that needed to be turned around in 24 hours or in a week because, one, all the festivals I'm interested in putting it in at this point aren't going to be accepting submissions until next year. Two, I just kind of had this feeling that this fall we were going to go under another lockdown, and this week we are officially in kind of another lockdown, and because the numbers are even worse than they were last spring. So I was filming for an edit that would be done. If you can hear fucking construction, uh, the people next door are still at it, and they're not even supposed to be at it because they have a stop work order. Yeah, it's like there, <laughs> right on the door, yeah, and they very visible. And they don't even care. They're just still doing it anyway because they're criminals. Yeah, but and anyway. they uh, poked another hole through our wall the oh. other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, so if you guys have been following, they punched a hole through our fucking living room wall. Well, the other day, they punched two more into our bedroom. Yeah, they're really tiny holes. And these are the firewalls that divide uh, New York City apartment buildings that are attached but I digress. It's not that important right now. Uh, what's important is I had planned for editing during a, a second more severe lockdown. And, th- and that has transpired. 
And so I'm really dragging my heels on this movie because I know once this movie's done, it's going to be, again, what else do I do? <laughs> I've yeah. written all these screenplays. I've been writing a ton of poetry. I've been writing a ton of open letters to uh, my mother. <laughs> 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 and I'm, I'm going to be finishing the assembly of this movie in the next couple weeks or so, e even though I'm dragging my heels on it. I can only go so slow. What do I do next? Because this, all of this is being done on top of hawking my credentials to various people who might be interested in hiring me for all of the various things that I do or whatever, you know? And, and it's just like, what do you do? Like, what else do you do? And if you're wondering that, you're not alone because we're wondering that too. We're doing everything we know to do. We're turning out work. We're staying busy, keeping focused, not letting the news get us down. So though on the days we fail and the news does get us down, we go get wine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like. Also, I feel like Christmas season and Christmas movies could maybe be. The thing is, is <laughs> could the moment I try to distract myself with something fictional. I stop paying attention to it because my mind goes, am I missing any news developments? Like it doesn't reprogram me to be disinterested in what's going on in the, in the news. Mm. I just don't pay attention to what's on the television because I'm worried that I'm missing something really, really important. Yeah. Even though like you don't have to be constantly attached. Right. Like the most Nothing's important thing happen. that they're talking about is that Rudy Giuliani was his, the face that covers his interior lizard head his, was melting off yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that footage. It was so fucking disgusting. I saw some photos. It was so gross. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Like, what's wrong with since we're Greg? in like, New York, like he was a decent mayor. He was, he was the mayor of 90s New York, which is considered one of, like, the best eras of New York City history. Yeah, like, he in really helped. In addition to the late 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, like, he really helped turn it around. He, like, did a really good job after 9-11. He was America's mayor, and he totally and threw all that shit out the window. Now he's, like, the sweaty guy arguing in Pennsylvania. And is he even, like, aren't lawyers only allowed to... Uh, work in certain states? I don't 100% know what the deal is. I think that if he's representing the president, there's probably some mechanism where that doesn't matter as much. And I also know that lawyers can be approved, at least based on my lack of knowledge <laughs> in law. Uh, there, I think there might be a mechanism in certain states where out-of-state lawyers can be approved if they are vetted by judges or something like that. Mm. But I don't know. Write me. Let me know what the real what the real dealio is, because I'm not going to research it. <laughs> Although you did say that you've been um, becoming much much more knowledgeable about legal matters, I have and constitutional law, and just how much of our constitution r really um, is a gentleman's agreement and not 100 percent reliable. Like we really have to work hard to legislate according to it we have to work hard to honor it and 
we're really seeing how mu how important it is to everybody to various parties because we're seeing oh there are republicans who are honoring it and they're honoring the law like that guy in georgia whereas there are republicans who have decided not to honor it or not honor the law like the ones in michigan and so it's just like you're seeing how important it is for people to honor it to respect it to say okay all the decisions i make will be rooted in honoring this document yeah, and actually, just to correct you, a lot of the people in Michigan have been, have honored it. Are I'm not talking about the people in Michigan. I'm talking about the two Republicans in Michigan. Well, yeah, but it's just those two, and most of the other but people need, have said the that. The thing is, is well, I'm not going after Michigan. Like, I'm really proud of what they've done overall. What I'm saying is, you're seeing people who have made it very clear that their decision isn't rooted in honoring this document that we are all told from birth is one of the most important things in our society. It's the, it's the thing that allows for American exceptionalism to exist. Does that make sense? Yes. And so if, Oh man, you know, hopefully this will never happen, but, Imagine if the majority of a Senate, the majority of a Congress, the, the majority of a Supreme Court, as well as the executive branch decide, well, it's just a piece of paper. We screwed. We'd be screwed. That's why it was important to have different parties in majority positions in different branches. Why, you know, it's just... Checks and balances. Checks and balances. Checks and balances are good. And it forces negotiation. It forces working together to some degree. Yeah. One thing I found really interesting that you told me was that you had never actually studied the Constitution in school. And I remember in American history class, they sat us down and they made us read it. I don't ever, then... I do not remember any anything you know we stood up and we were forced to do the pledge of allegiance which i always question because i don't think people should be forced to pledge allegiance i think that you know they should do what your school did educate the students on the importance of the constitution what's in there on you know the declaration of independence why that's important on the bill of rights why that's important and almost the way a, a religious, a conservative religious sect would force their people to memorize the Quran or the Holy Bible. or so, As Americans, we should be forced to remember our Bill of Rights, not random years in history where random stuff happened. Because that's, that's one of the things that always bugged me about history class. This year, this happened. Okay. But they don't, you know, they never... Taught, they never broke down why it was important. They never gave us a context as to a, why that thing that happened in history affects us now and, and so on and so forth. It's just like you had to remember the date that something happened and who might have been involved and that was it. And voila, you pass your history exam or you don't pass your history exam. I think that history should be rooted in, one, memorizing the Bill of Rights almost to the point where it's it feels like religious <laughs> scholarship. Uh because if you do that, then people understand better why, what their rights are, where they, where they start, where they stop. So, for example, gun rights. 
they start with you being able to have a gun in your house, but they stop when you use it to kill someone. <laughs> so many people don't fucking understand that. Like, the Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to kill people. It just gives you the right to have a gun in your house. Like, it's not rocket science. And so, I, I that's where I think history, American history at least, needs, needs to start. And then I think if, if we're going to discuss, oh, in this year... Abraham Lincoln freed the, freed the slaves. Okay, so what? What? How does that connect to me? Well, I can that we could easily break that down, and and we can go into the sort of post Civil War era when the Ku Klux Klan started, and we can show how civil rights, how it led to the civil rights movement in the '60s, and how the reemergence of these racist buffoons uh, came to be during the Trump era, and then connect that with Charlottesville. So on and so forth, mm-hmm. and even Q QAnon, you could connect it to QAnon. Isn't that interesting that you can connect uh, Lincoln's freeing of slaves all the way down the timeline to QAnon, and and that's that's where I think the teaching of history in the context of memorizing years and dates and, and things that happen, we need we need to educate based we need to educate years and stuff under the condition that we're actively connecting it to how it how, how it, it has affected the world how it impacts the world how does it affect our lives but you know that that it's going to require an overhaul in the education system and uh i mean i'm sure there are a few there are a few teachers out there that understand this and maybe are trying yeah, to i do mean that. That's how I, I, like, I was never forced to memorize the Bill of Rights. I I don't really remember being forced to memorize anything except for uh, words in Spanish and maybe a couple of bones in the body or something. (laughs) But, um, that was, we we never had to, I, I don't remember anything where we were asked, um, what year did this take place? Oh man, that um, seemed like that's all I remember from history class. Yeah, we might have been asked about um, like what's the sequence of events. So this happened, then this happened, but actual year. Um, I mean, it, it was in our history textbooks, but that really wasn't the focus. The focus was on how does it all work together to create the world that we live in now how do you um how do you look at historical sources and identify primary versus secondary sources um how can you tell whether historical data is accurate and trustworthy or not how does the magna carta impact our freedoms today and what was the history surrounding that yeah um it was all of that sort of thing but then um i went to a private school a fairly prestigious one and one that most people um could neither get into or afford Whereas you went to um, a not very good public school. The Portland Public, well, first it was the Westbrook 
public school system in Westbrook, Maine. Then it was the Portland public school system in Portland, Maine. And from what I understand, it hasn't improved all that much based on what people who still live there are telling me. But yeah, I, uh, I resent that those two education systems quite a bit. I resent them too. Yeah. I've spent so much time with you teaching oh. you things <laughs> that you should have learned in elementary school. Yeah. And I, I know. And, and actually, we've, I, I, I hadn't really understood. I knew I was lacking in, in my ability to navigate the real world right after I moved to New York. I'm like, oh, man, I, nobody set me up for the real world um i had been programmed to be i had been programmed to function in a small town cut off from the real world not only culturally and socially and economically but physically it was an island community with like 300 people year round and and in some way or another we were all related some more distantly and but many of us incredibly close um I, you know, I just, as you know, no, I, I just did my family tree dating all the way back to Ezekiel Cushing and Jeremiah Norcross, the first Norcross to come over from England. And it's just like, okay, I'm definitely like way overly related to the people in my hometown than probably should be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like, I don't know. I just, uh, I feel like parents and teachers and people in children's lives need to be proactive about preparing their children for the real world, not to just function where they are. Um, and so we learned that lesson, of course, hardcore when I went back to school in my early to mid thirties, uh, which honestly was the best decision I made to try and undo the damage that had been done because the state university of New York at uh, uh, the empire state college which is part of the State University of New York, they really, they really went out of their way to undo a lot of the damage in, in so many, so many sectors, uh, especially in math. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, prior to going back, I had trouble calculating tip at a restaurant. I often way over tipped because um, I didn't know what was appropriate and or how to find that appropriate uh, percentage. Yeah, and then you went there, and you not only were able to take classes but you were able to work with extra tutors um yeah. and really kind of i mean you ended up probably learning like five years of math in one semester yeah and it was brutal i had to spend every single <laughs> saturday like sitting with you on the floor of our apartment teaching you how to do a lot of these things um yeah. after uh when i told my mom what was happening her reaction to that was oh my gosh poor eric uh because i'm not a great math tutor um well i had three so you were you supplemented the the other two yeah. that suny provided yeah so so and i i ended up coming out of all of my college mathematics with an A minus. So that's pretty good. That's pretty up there from the D's I was getting in the Portland public school system. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the D's were generous. The D's were, we don't want to deal with this kid. 
let's just push him along. Let's yeah. push him out of here. And it's so inappropriate because you're not even like, like the way your brain works, you're not even bad at math. It's just that. Like you, especially math theory, you really get that. Well, the thing is, it was the cookie cutter way of doing it. People mm-hmm. didn't know how to explain math or weren't willing to find a new way to explain math. But I do get the theory of it now, which is why I was able to succeed at it because I had tutors and I had professors who understood that there is a theory behind it. I, and one of them actually teaches in the new way that they're teaching math, which some parents criticize because some parents didn't understand it because so many people weren't taught the theory of it. They were just taught how to do the mechanisms. And so I forget what they call that mode of teaching math. But I, I don't know. I, I've heard it referred to as new math. Maybe. But That's not the term I know. But it does make sense when you look at it. I was showed some worksheets once yeah and it is rooted in almost like the theory of why math works and Mm -hmm. that's really all i needed to know for me to be set on the right path because i'm very much into why things work how come this is the case Uh, as you know i'm constantly uh listening to content about um science and and especially the more complicated science where they're trying to unravel why things work the way they work especially quantum mechanics it's fascinating to me Uh, and you know i'm not the kind of brain who's failing who failed at math because he's disinterested in it i'm the kind of brain who failed at math initially because the cookie cutter system of the main education system didn't work for me and it sure as shit didn't work for a whole lot of other people. Uh, and But the thing is, is when you come from a conservative state, and back then they were a conservative state, and half of it still really is, people don't care if you fit in or if you don't fit in. I, I, I mean, if you don't fit in, then you're written off as just a bad seed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So this, <laughs> this improvised non-subject episode just went into me ranting about the state of Maine education system where from where we started to where we are now awesome (laughs) yeah and it really is just as someone who doesn't come from that system like it's remarkable how just purely crappy it was I mean just like looking at your base of knowledge or your base of knowledge, what your base of knowledge was in your early 20s. Do you remember my my uh, admissions essay to SUNY? I don't, know. So I, I basically just laid into my high school uh, guidance counselor. Mrs. Davidson. Oh, yeah. And I basically, it was literally four pages of why she shouldn't have been in the position of being a guidance counselor. Yeah. How she relate, failed to relate to me, failed to give me proper guidance. She basically was like, well, doesn't your dad have a union he can get you into because you're not college material? And, and that's basically like not everybody – within those these systems were like that i had a few teachers here and there i really really respected and i'll talk about them in a moment but too many were like her 
mm-hmm. too many words, just apathetic and lazy or incapable of thinking outside their cookie cutter box, their cookie cutter system to actually do good for the handful of us who thought differently, whose brains were wired differently, whose neurons fired at a different rate. And uh, so that's, I was brutally honest about it. And that's what got me into my undergraduate school. Yeah. And uh, do you want to share what she said? Oh, you did that already. Yeah, I did you? that. Yeah. yeah. The and union shit. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Eric currently has a master's degree. <laughs> he, he clearly is capable of doing college um, and beyond. At yep. some point, he might go for a PhD. We'll see. Nah, that's definitely on my my radar. I just, you know, we got to get some financial shit out of the way first. Yeah, things need to just like return to normal. Yeah, find productions some need to get back up and running. Yeah. yeah. But man, I'm already planning my dissertation. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I'm gonna go into this with everything kind of pre-done. I'll just make adjustments to sort of fit sort of the requirements that's my plan anyway it probably won't work (laughs) but i've been actively researching it ever since my undergrad kind of been reading dissertations in the subject areas i'm interested in studying i've I've been uh, listening to people talk about their experiences working with their phd professors and advisors and Hmm. so it's definitely it's definitely something that I plan on doing, but it's just, you know, I, I, I've gone out of my way to slaughter the main education system. <laughs> but let me just say the other day I reached out to one of the few teachers that I actually genuinely liked. So I'm actually connected with two of them on LinkedIn. One of them I've been talking to over the past couple of years. He, you know, he was just like really proud of like kind of what I've done with my life and things like that. And I've been, you know, when I went to Maine, I made a conscious effort to try and connect with them, though that didn't work out. Hopefully next time after the the virus is taken care of. But there was another one who I reached out to just this week where I I wrote her an email and I said, well, well, she had, we had connected on LinkedIn and she's like, you know, I really enjoyed you as a student. Um, uh, Actually... Let's see if I can find the message. All right, so I, I told her I had been thinking about her over the summer because I just filmed a guerrilla-style movie in July because city permitting is suspended. And one of my actors asked about how it is that I can just go film without permission. I remember telling him that the first piece of advice I ever received was to just start shooting that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. And I credited that to this teacher, uh, Carol Schiller, and I wrote to tell her that, okay? I told her all of that uh, because when, at one point in my, sophomore, my, my junior year of high school, which was my first year in a video te- at a two-year video technology course, a vocational course, our class took a trip into downtown Portland to shoot some B-roll to kind of learn how to shoot in an open public environment. And we got in a lot of trouble when we went into one city center, which is an office building with sort of a a downstairs public area with eateries and stuff. 
and we were filming the interior and security basically shut us down. And so those of us who had managed to grab some footage got to keep our footage and those who didn't grab start recording had no footage from there and she her lesson was just start shooting next time <laughs> just start shooting and nobody can legally tell you to erase it uh, and so i told her all this and i told her how this seeded the way i go about making movies for the past 20 years and she said she wrote back she's like it's nice hearing from you and she apologized for not responding sooner, but that she really uses LinkedIn, which is why that seems to be a normality for a lot of people. She said she got a chuckle out of my memory. And she said that her approach to teaching video was to empower students as artists, not technicians, which is my philosophy as well. Needless to say, she didn't get a lot of support from the Portland public school system. She recognized in me and a few others that we were very creative and talented so it didn't surprise her how far I've come as an artist. And then she gave me her email. So I responded to her email with this. Where was that? Let me find it. I told her I was aware of the lack of support she received as a teacher and that um, I am thankful for the one year I had with her as a teacher and that I had been wanting her to know that for the past 20 years. And uh, I, hadn't, I haven't heard back yet, but just so you know, if you go out of your way to be a good teacher in a shitty education system, you will be remembered by the people that you genuinely have helped along the way. The people who were your way of, of breaking away from the system and thinking outside the box, thinking outside that cookie cutter system has actually positively impacted your students' lives. Those students will come back and they will let you know, you know, maybe not everyone, but if one has, certainly there have been many, many others that um, your way of doing things has positively affected. So... Yeah, it's also one thing that is kind of interesting is you, these individual teachers made such a huge impact on you. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Whereas I had. Is that a COVID cough? No, it's not. <laughs> it's a cough. <laughs> I cough a lot. It's too wet to be a COVID cough. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think part of the reason that those teachers were so impactful for you is that you were in such a bad school system. I had dozens of really good teachers over the year, and it would never really occur to me to reach out to them and thank them and... um say what an impact they had on my life because there are just too many of them <laughs> and they did have an impact on my life but it was more of an in aggregate sort of situation um in aggregate they all helped me 
become a better person, more intelligent, more knowledgeable, etc. They all helped me become someone who I hopefully kind of understands the wor- world and can function in it. And I would almost be challenged to call out anyone specific in some ways because they were all or not all but there were so many um good teachers yeah. and we, it is kind of a, a good good school yeah i did but now like they charge like forty, fifty thousand dollars a year in tuition so yeah it's out of reach for most people which is sad because everyone should have that. I agree. Well, that's kind of why I'm against private schools because I feel like if we we if we had only public schools, then public schools would be all public schools would for the most part be really well funded because rich people wouldn't have uh, any other opportunities to any other places to send their their kids. So, but the thing is, though, that the way that um money is allotted to different schools I think really makes a huge difference because the public schools in relatively wealthy areas are really good you can get a extremely good education at a lot of the schools in say Westchester um the schools around where my uncle lives um in western right. Massachusetts are supposedly really really good um Yes, but that's that's because there's a lack of um, I don't know what the language the the appropriate language for me to use is, but it's not ingrained enough in education law to require equal financing across communities. And you know, when I say we need to get rid of private schools, that's just a start. We also need to pass laws to ensure that the rich communities aren't finding a way to give their kids a bigger upper hand than they already have and that comes with passing law education laws at the federal level that mandate a sort of equal opportunity in terms of how they're they're all funded how they're not only funding for uh teacher teacher payroll and i think all teachers even the bad ones are underpaid (laughs) but um also after school programs and access to after-school programs. As you know, I couldn't really access after-school programs because of my ridiculous commute. You know, I went to school, high school in downtown Portland, and so I, because I lived on an island off the coast of Portland, you know, I couldn't really participate in after-school programs because I had to catch the last ferry of the day at 5.45 p.m., whereas most after-school programs went, from six, went to 6 or 6.30, and it's just like... All of this, all of this needs to change. All of this needs to be fixed, and I don't know uh, how to do how to fix it. I'm not a politician. I'm not good at negotiation. All I know is what the problem is, and I know that there are too many people who don't care about it in power. Well, I think one thing that um, needs to change is right now funding is based on property taxes for the school district. So if you live in an area with multi-million dollar mansions, then 
you have enormous property taxes and the school is well funded. As a researcher, do you understand kind of how the census data plays into it? Because I know there's been talk about like why the census is important. So um, I don't know exactly how it plays into education. Um, My guess would be that... um, well, don't guess. There's... Don't guess. Okay. Yeah, we don't need I won't guess. Um, I don't want but... to put this information out there. Okay. Well, whatever it is, the census is really important. And as a researcher, that's basically what I have to say. It's used for so many different things. It's. I'm going to Google it. Okay. It is used for providing funding uh, for different areas. It's used for providing uh, determining how many Congress people um, a certain area, a certain ah, state so gets. This is from ednote.ecs.org. Um, the census directly influences education as census counts impact the federal funds allocated for educational programs. Census data determines funding for special education, Head Start, school nutrition, after school programming, and classroom technology, as well as uh, maternal and child health programs. That makes sense. Yeah, that was actually going to be my guess, uh, although not as specific. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I have a, a long, sad history with proper nutrition as well, but that's for another episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, guys, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from all of you about your experiences with some of the subject matters we're talking about. You could talk about your education systems if you want to rant about it or uh, glorify it. Feel free. It, uh, also, how are you doing during all of this the, this infuriating news cycle you know um and just time in history in this general time in history we're living in a very historic moment a very terrifying moment this is worse than the nixon era and on so many freaking levels yeah well that there was just political upheaval now there are thousands of people dying there are thousands of people dying um we got a guy who is actively trying to destroy American democracy from the within the executive branch of the United States government uh, how are you doing how is your mental health how are you going about it how are you going about not letting it get to you let us know let us know and we'll relay it because we need ideas our listeners need ideas Americans need ideas uh, people around the world need ideas they're all watching us and so if you're succeeding at this, we want to know what you're doing. Yeah, and even if it is things that we haven't brought up, like uh, working from home, um, we do both have lots of experience with that. Um, <laughs> That's true. Or dealing with children and childcare during all of this. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like. It's hard enough dealing with our cats um who actually I'm sick of them I'm sick of all of them yes it's just no they didn't do anything I know they're sweet little but this is what happens when you don't leave for almost a whole year yeah (laughs) I do wish that like 
It would stop knocking stuff over. Oh, yeah. That's or maybe, like, happen. stop using the litter boxes for a little bit. <laughs> well, we got to stop feeding them. Yeah, but we can't do that. So, so this is what it is, man. Also, you know that they would torture us if we <laughs> didn't provide them with the amount and quality of food that they expect. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, anyway guys, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Uh, let us know what you're doing. We're interested. We need ideas. We want to relay ideas to other listeners. Let's start this conversation. And uh, hang in there. It's almost over. Soon we'll have a President Biden who uh, will hopefully improve the situation and um, maybe even pass some legislation to make it dif more difficult for the next uh, the next Trump wannabe to pull the same shit. Also, there are those two really promising vaccines. Yes, that's a pl which plus. Which could help. 95%. Um, with the situation Accurate. and with uh, politics um, functioning at, or with the government functioning and not getting distracted by craziness and actual vaccines in place plus new drugs that can help treat COVID, the economy will most likely improve as well. Yes. Because it's all connected. All right. Thank you, everybody. Hang in there. Hang in there.